0: Okay, everybody's well this morning? Good? It's all right, I'll be over and you go take a nap. <laughs> so let's go ahead and pray and then we'll, we'll dig into this. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in the death of Christ. Father, that we can actually glorify you for saving us what a privilege that is that we can come into your presence father knowing that you never leave us and you never forsake us and sing lord with all of our souls that we can bless your name father wow what a privilege you have given us lord that we can enter into the holies of holies and sit in the very lap of the majesty enthroned on high and call you Daddy. What love you truly have for your people and for your sheep. So Father, I pray with this in mind, that you would have grace upon us this morning, that your spirit would come, Father, that he would eclipse me and that he would show the greatness of who you are that he would shine the light of the glory of Christ into our hearts, that we would walk out of here changed, Father, encouraged, comforted, and in awe of who you are. Oh, Lord, we need this daily in our own lives to be awestruck by the glory and majesty and splendor of you, Do this today, Father, for your glory. In your name, amen. In one of his letters to Erasmus, Erasmus was a theological scholar, Martin Luther said this, Your thoughts of God are too human. And, of course, Erasmus, being the scholar he is, probably took offense to this. We don't know for sure. But it was a subtle rebuke from Martin Luther. And it was a subtle rebuke from Martin Luther because here Erasmus is taking a rebuke or a correction from a minor's son. No one of outstanding character It wasn't the king's son or the priest's son, but it was a lowly minor son. And the rebuke again was, your thoughts of God are too human. Does this describe your thoughts of God? Oftentimes it's my thoughts of God. There's times when it's easy to bring God down to my level because then he's easier to comprehend for me. But when we keep him on the level that he is at, he literally is uncomprehensible. We cannot comprehend his glory and his majesty. We have seen this in the last part of the study, right? The beauty of his holiness, the supremacy of his sovereignty, the greatness of his goodness, his merciful grace towards us, the consistency of his immutability that he never changes, the splendor of his love. And today we will look at his unrivaled, his undefeated power. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. When you hear that word omnipotent, that's what it means, all-powerful. We will also see another term that I want to explain to you, how we we look at that? the term is called anthropomorphosis. That's the term. It simply means human characters given to the divine. That's all it means. We'll read verses that talk about God's mighty hand, his outstretched arm, and yet the Bible says that God is spirit. So what the Bible is telling us, what God is telling us in his word, is he's given us a picture because we are finite. He helps us with this imagery. And that's the big term for that. So we will see today his power and his power displayed. So first of all, we see that God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. There is none who rivals his power. If there was one that was more powerful than God, then God wouldn't be God, and none of these attributes would be true. He would not be infinitely holy. He would not be infinitely sovereign. He would not be infinitely wise. He would not be any of these. He is all powerful, and his power is seen in his holiness, in his love, in his goodness, and in his mercy. the almighty in the new testament the word the almighty almighty in the new testament is the word pantokrator which means the all ruling as absolute and universal sovereign the one who is irresistible in his power isn't that amazing that we see god's power and when we see god's power it's irresistible That means we're drawn to it. We're drawn to that power. That's what he does. He draws us. He draws us. We see this in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now this word for God is Elohim. That's the Hebrew word Elohim. It's in the plural. So this is where some translators and, and some theologians get the trinity, Within this, because it's in the plural. But what Elohim means, L-E-L, it means God. It means God. And Elohim, meaning that God is the one who is almighty. Or he has all might. So when we look at the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, the one who has all might, all power, created the heavens and the earth this is how our bible starts with the magnificence of the power of god in a spoken word in a spoken word again we will see the word el shaddai i'm sure you guys have heard of these el shaddai god and then shaddai shaddai means almighty god it means Almighty God, the Almighty God. And we see this where God reveals to Abraham that He is the Almighty God in Genesis 17.1, When Abram was ninety nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. This is the word El Shaddai. I am God El Shaddai Almighty. Again to Isaac. Isaac referred to God as the Almighty in Genesis twenty-eight three. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of people. God tells Jacob in Genesis 35.11 that he is the Almighty. And God descend, said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come to your own body. Job simply says of his power in Job 12:16, "With him are strength and sound wisdom; the deceived and the deceiver are his, but with him are strength, power." David in the Psalms declares this almighty one in 62:11, "Once God has spoken, twice I have heard that power belongs to God." Jeremiah, the prophet, speaks of this immense power of God in, in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Daniel voices this, and in, in when God gives him the, the dream, interpretation of the dream, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. Jesus refers to God as power when he's talking to Pilate in Matthew 26, 64. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. John, in his revelation, says that all of heaven declares that God is the Almighty in Revelation 4. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes and all around and within. And a day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. The Bible is clear from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 4 that God has power. He has might. He is the Almighty. There is none who can come against Him. There is none who can stand against Him. He is unrivaled. He is undefeated in His power. This is your God, brothers and sisters. This is our God. God possesses all power and all might. Therefore, He does what He pleases with whomever He pleases because He is all-powerful. Secondly, we see this, 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 this power displayed in creation. We see this power displayed in creation. God in His power simply spoke the universe into existence. The term is, is uh, ex nihilo which means out of nothing. God created the universe without the slightest degree of difficulty. Think about when we're making something. If you're a if you're a, a woodworker or you're a painter or you're you're a, a framing pictures or you're dealing with your plants uh, and everything, whatever we're doing, there's sometimes where it comes with difficulty, right? There's things that are difficult. We might not get the measurements right, we might not get the right amount of of uh, soil right but whenever we do something that we go to create things there's difficulty but God there's no difficulty he created the heavens and the earth with no difficulty when he set the stars in the skies it was with ease absolute ease no problem whatsoever it says that he created all things in six days. Well, how can he do that? Right? The people marvel at that. Six days he created all things? Really? Well, that can't mean literal days. It means literal days. Six days. You want to know why he can do it in six days? Because he's the Almighty. He probably could have did it in one day. But six days. Moses, Moses says this in Exodus twenty eleven. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth the sea, and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In the Psalms we read of this marvelous creating power in Psalms 33, 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hort, all their host. But, but just check that out in 33, 6 there. By the word of the Lord. Could you imagine that kind of power if we had that power? That all we had to do is say, let there be, and it happened? Right? Dick, he prayed for Pete. You know, he prayed for Martin. If we were all powerful, all we would have to do is say, let him be healed. And it would happen. But we're not. But that's the Power. That's the marvelous power that God has, is he said, let there be light, and there was light. Man, it's massive power, massive power that he has. Psalms 89, 11 through 13. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High, your right hand. And then again in Psalms 102.25, of old you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. The Psalms declare this marvelous power. The almighty power in creation, Jeremiah. Jeremiah speaks of this almighty power. In Jeremiah 27, 5. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. By your great power, And by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Brothers and sisters, do we get that? Do we get that nothing is too hard for God? Because if we get that, our prayer lives are magnificently changed. We will pray prayers that are massively huge because we understand that there is nothing too hard for our God. But how many times do we pray something not really believing that God will do it? But he is massively powerful. And there's nothing too hard for him. Jesus in the New Testament, God incarnate, God in the flesh has come. He displays this power, right? He displays this power in calming the wind and the seas in Mark 4, 35 through 41. He displays his power by healing the sick and the lame and the blind. John 9, blind, blind Bartimaeus, he heals him. All through the gospel, Peter's mom's fever, the leper he touches, the blind he gives sight to, the lame walk. Pick up your bed and walk. He does this. He has absolute power, absolute control, absolute sovereignty over everything that he came in touch with. He raises the dead. He raises Lazarus in in John 11. And he does it by his word. He does not go into the tomb and bring Lazarus out. He commands Lazarus to come out. And his power raises him out of the grave. And Lazarus walks out of the grave. Jesus did not go in and grab him by his hand and bring him out. That is power. That is power. Jesus has that power. This power is displayed in the preservation, in God's preserving power. God in his power preserves everything, or he sustains everything. He upholds everything. That's what Isaiah tells us. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one of them is missing. It is God's power that that, that keeps all the created things in order. He upholds the universe by his might, is exactly what Isaiah says. He governs the weather patterns, which is funny because the wind's really gusting. And I see people looking. Is that the wind? Yep, it's the wind. So but he governs the weather patterns. Listen to Job thirty-seven, verse six, first. For to the snow he says fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour, tsunamis, he controls those weather patterns. Job thirty seven, again, ten and twelve. By the breath of God ice is given, and by the broad waters are frozen fast. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. This is his all-sustaining power. He governs all the weather patterns. Hurricanes are in his hands. Tornadoes he spins. Rain he causes the downpour. Snow builds up because he commands it to. Lightning comes to him and he commands it to where it goes. He sustains it all. In the New Testament, Jesus is the one who does this sustaining work. Jesus is the one who upholds all things by, the, by his power. In Colossians 1, seven, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. I don't know why I got that in there. I think it's 17. Turn in your Bibles. I put the wrong verse in there. Go to Colossians 1.17. I didn't hit the one. I am sorry. Either that or the person that put it in messed it up. (laughs) I'm not saying anybody's name, Angela. So go to Colossians 1. If I can get there, I'll get there. I think it's verse 17. It is verse 17. I apologize, brothers and sisters. Please forgive me for that. Verse seventeen said, And he is before all things and in all th- and in and in him all things hold together. That's the verse I wanted. Jesus is the one who holds all things together. He is the one preserving it. Hebrews 1.3 also says that. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We see that? He upholds, he holds the universe together by his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he does that with us too, right? God sustains us. If God was not powerful and all sustaining, in his power, you and I would explode. He holds all the atoms going around in our body. He holds them together. That's why we don't explode. <laughs> because he upholds us. He holds us together. Stephen Lawson in his book, Show Me Your Glory, he writes this. The universe is constantly being maintained by his great omnipotence. Christ keeps the earth on its axis, sustains its rotation in its orbit around the sun. He upholds all the laws of gravity and thermodynamics, which requires strength of an unimaginable magnitude. Fourthly, brothers and sisters, we see his power displayed in government. His power is displayed in government. There is not a kingship, there is not a government, there is not a dictatorship that is ultimately all-powerful. Do they have power? Yes. But this is power that is given to them by God. It is not ultimate power. It is His power lent to them. They don't get to keep it. They exercise God's gift of power to them. God is the one who controls all governments. He is the one who is powerful over all governments. Yes, including ours. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, since these authorities, brothers, since these authorities are given to God, or two men by God, this is what he says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. So Paul is saying, if we don't want to have any fear of government or any fear of authority, do good. That's what we're supposed to do. But we're also to know that no matter what the authority is, it is given by God. It exists because of God. That is what Paul is telling us. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. And if we follow this passage out, it says that our government is to be that way. Our government is to not take the things that are good and punish them, but they're to take the things that are bad and punish them. And this is the frustrating thing because we can see the opposite so clearly. Where good has become bad and bad has become good. And so the government is not functioning how it should, should be. But if they are not causing us to sin, you and I are to be obedient to the governments because it's the almighty, all-powerful God who is over them. So l- listen to Daniel 2.21. He charges. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise. And knowledge to those who have understanding. This simply tells us that God is the one. Who raises kings up and brings kings down. That is what he does. God is the only vote that matters. He is the one who is in charge of this. His power puts him in. His power brings him out. And we see this in Daniel chapter 4. It's very clear. King Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's got this massive Babylonian kingdom. And he's walking on top of the kingdom. And he's seeing how massive this kingdom is. And God tells him, hey, listen. I'm going to take it all away from you if you don't. Get your boastfulness and your pride out of the way. And so what's God do? Nebuchadnezzar's up there. He comes and he takes Nebuchadnezzar out with ease. He didn't come with an army of angels to take this king out. He does it all on his own because of Nebuchadnezzar's arrogance and his boastfulness and him not giving credit to God for the massive kingdom that God has given him power over. God says you are going to be an animal and you're going to eat grass and your fingernails are going to grow long and you're going to be a beast of a field. And that happens. That takes place. But then when Nebuchadnezzar comes back, listen to what he says in Daniel chapter 4 at the end. And and this is what God says. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was set with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles, feathers, and his nails were like bird claws. At the end of the days, at the end of these seven periods, these seven years, at the end of the days, I and Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is power over governments. This is his power over governments. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, tells Pilate in John nineteen eleven. Jesus answered him, You have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus is clear. The only power that Pilate had was because God had given him that power. Brothers and sisters, the only power that Washington, D.C. has is because God has given him that power. And you and I are God's children. We can take comfort in knowing one thing. He knows what he's doing. And he's powerful enough. He doesn't need us. He's powerful enough. Fifth, his power is displayed in victory. God in his omnipotence is always the victor. He is undefeated. No one can challenge him. There's no opposition that he cannot defeat that comes his way. Think about Pharaoh. Pharaoh, when when he's chasing after the Israelites at the sea, and God parts the sea, and here comes this massive army after the Israelites. Pharaoh's army is coming down on him, and in Exodus 15, it says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts, he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In Psalms 2, the psalmist writes this. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Listen to this. This is great. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying... Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. He laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. This word laugh is laughter or amusement. The king's plot. I mean, just look at this picture. The king's plot against God. We're taking him down and God The one in Isaiah 6 sits on his throne in all of glory, and he laughs. Really? He chuckles. He finds it amusing. It gives us the feeling of this deep belly laugh. He laughs because he is all-powerful. They're not going to take him down. He is the victor. King Solomon, Proverbs writes in twenty-one thirty-one. the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. The devil thinks he's got power, right? But in John 4, 4, it says little children, that's us. You are from God and you have overcome them for he who is in you, God, the Holy Spirit who is in you is greater than he is who in the world. We do not have to worry about Satan. Satan is a defeated foe. God has the victory because he is omnipotent. In his victory, no one can challenge him. He overcomes all. Job says it this way Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what have you done? Again in 42.2, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Isaiah reiterates it, for the Lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? Those are all questions, brothers and sisters. I ask you the same question. It's the same question. Who can turn him back? I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Isaiah, the same question. For the Lord has purposed. And who will annul what God has purposed? Who will annul what he has decreed? His hand is stretched out. And who will turn it back? That is the question we ask when we read the Bible. Who will turn it back? Who can thwart his will? The answer is no one. No one. These are questions that were asked, that the writers asked. God himself declares in Isaiah forty three thirteen. also henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. That is absolute power. I work and I who can turn it back. Nobody. Brothers and sisters, this is a comforting verse to us, but it is an absolutely terrifying verse if you are not a believer because there is nothing that will deliver you from his hand when you die, if you are not his. He will send you to hell, and he will be praised and glorified for it. Six, his power is displayed in our salvation. God is an omnipotence, is mighty to save sinners such as you and I from his wrath. He's able to save us. This salvation, Jesus tells a story in Matthew 19. I'm going to cut this down. He talks about the, a man who comes to him and he says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus tells him, well, why do you call me good first of all? But then he says, there's only one who is good. If you were to enter life, keep the commandments. And the, and the young man said, Which one? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? And then Jesus tells him, You go and you sell everything that you have. And then you follow me. And he went away grieved. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had a great possessions. So Jesus now teaches his disciples in 19, verse 23, and he says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? They got the picture. A camel. A camel. Through the eye of a needle. And they're like, I can't get through an eye of a needle. And I'm even smaller than a camel. And so they asked the question, well, then who can be saved? If this guy who's done all of this can't be saved, then who can be saved? And here's what Jesus answered. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Brothers and sisters, God is the only one that can save us from His wrath. Did you hear that? God is the only Savior that can save us from Him. From His holy, heated, red-hot, white-hot wrath. He's the only one that can save us. There's nothing that man can do, and He's powerful enough to do it, and He powerfully does it. Listen to John 5, 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming as now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is the dead person. This is the person sitting in here that's dead. That's what happened. The call goes out. The gospel goes out. The dead hear it. And what do they do? They respond. They respond and they live. The Christian never dies because of God's power. In John 10, 3, to him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Gerald, come out. Sean, come out. Dick and Lynn, come out. And we hear the call. Rick, Harriet, Selena, come out. And we hear that voice. Do you hear that voice, brothers and sisters? Do you hear him call you out of the fold? By his power, by his might, he plucks you out of the pit of hell and he brings you into his fold with all of his power. That call is effectual because it's a powerful call. And in John 10, 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. God powerfully brings those who are dead to life. When Adam sinned, we all died spiritually dead, completely dead. We cannot respond to the effectual call of God unless God gives us life. And he powerfully gives us that life in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen? Amen. He is all-sufficient. His all-sufficient power gives you and I strength to live this Christian life. When he saves us, He gives us that Holy Spirit, and that gives us strength to live the Christian life boldly, with confidence in our all-powerful, omnipotent God. Even when we are weak, His strength is seen. And that's what Paul tells us after he has this magnificent vision in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he talks about a man who goes to the third heaven, whether in the spirit or in the flesh, I don't know. But he talks about all these great things that he saw. And then this is what Paul says. So, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. God's power is seen most clearly in you and I's weakness. Wow, this is power to live this life. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Brothers and sisters, when you are at your weakest, that is when you are at your strength because it is the very power of God that is working in your life. That's what Paul tells us. We can simply do all things who strengthens us. We can do all things through him. Therefore, God is able to do beyond more than all we can imagine, right? He is all-powerful. In closing, this is what he does. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able, he's able to do far more abundantly than all that put you in there. You ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. This is the all-powerful God, brothers and sisters, that we worship. He is unrivaled, he is undefeated. That means that you and I can understand that there's nothing too difficult for God, that we all should stand in awe of this awesome power, that we find comfort in his mighty right arm, and that we dwell safely in the mighty, omnipotent hand of our great God. So today, brothers and sisters, as we open our Bibles, may you and I begin to see and know the beauty of God, that we may have eyes of faith to see Him put on display in the person of Jesus Christ, that our deeper knowledge of Him would lead us to a deeper worship and a deeper reverence for His greatness. May the glory, splendor, and majesty of God consume our hearts today and in the days to come. Let's pray. Father, again, we praise you and thank you for your word. Lord, may it sit heavily upon our hearts and may we find encouragement knowing, Father, that you are in control of all things and you are powerful enough, Father, to keep them and to sustain them. And you are the victor. And in the end, you win. Father, may we rest securely and knowing that you are are our all-powerful, all-saving, all-protecting, all-sufficient God. Amen. Please, brothers and sisters, let's stand as we sing our last song.